So hi, Sean. Welcome back. The last time you were here was in March. Uh, okay, March. I was wondering when it was because we talked about getting back together again for an update on, on Gravium Progress. Exactly. So I think that, uh, yeah, I was looking over some of the topics because I was thinking, how far back do I need to go uh, on updates? So March, okay. Yeah, and, and uh, this date today was uh, set in March because you 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 said mm-hmm. you know the re- the release train is very precise in Gravium. So if yeah. we meet there, yeah. there's a lot lot you know lot features to cover. So I hope it worked out for you. Yes, yes. I mean we have no choice in the sense that uh, you know we're we're a JDK release, so there are CPU release dates right which have to go out on a certain date. So we're we're locked in. So really, I mean. From a release perspective, uh, those dates can't move, right? The most you can do is say, well, a feature can't ship. You can't, you know, slip the release date. It's not going to happen. So uh, GraalVM ships together with JDK? Same dates. Yeah, same dates. So OpenJDK ships, uh, well, actually, we're a bit behind. We're actually, there's some timing issues. So the Enterprise Edition, the Oracle it comes from we get Oracle JDK and build on that, so we have internal access to their builds, of course, and we can do, put out the CPUs same date. Open JDK, we have a, a few days delay there, uh, just to make sure we have them. Okay. So it's it is what it is, but basically it, we, we're on the same train, right? So even with a couple of days here and there, we're we're on the same train for Community Edition. So, uh, but you are not supporting Java 17 yet, right? Yes, yes, 17 support. That's what that's one of the big features we rolled out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we were six weeks. So Oracle JDK shipped uh, 17 in September, and then we shipped 17 support in our next release, October. So we're, we're on time. Yeah, for sure. Oh, 17 uh, support across the board. Uh, Native Image has 17 support. Um, JIT compiler stuff is supported in 17. So that was a big, for us, a big feature. Yeah. Um, although I think going from uh, you know, 11 to 17 wasn't a huge you know, change as compared to 8. Yeah, um, but for it turns out that I think some of the uh, complication is because Loom is making lots of interesting changes under the covers to the JVM, which the average develop, developer isn't seeing. Right, so these are future-facing changes that are at some point when Loom ships, the JVM has to be ready, and so there's changes going on, and for us that has a big impact on a native image, yeah. where we're having to basically keep up with those changes. Right, so so there's quite a bit of engineering work just to keep up with what's going on inside the JVM. Again, below most people's notice, uh, they don't see it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I'm the most excited with in Java 17 are text blocks, because it helps me a lot with uh, JSON, actually. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, text blocks, for sure. And actually, that's also for, for GraalVM, people who are embedding, um, uh, using our embedding API, they're using JavaScript embedded inside of, or, or R, Python, whatever it is. Yeah, it's much, it's much better, right? It's much yeah. better to yeah. look at that. Yeah. 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 So, so what are actually? The... I like records. I was gonna say I like records. So yeah. seventeen. I mean, I know I know records didn't didn't preview didn't premiere in in seventeen. But um, you know, for doing microservices and shipping JSON around, uh, I took a an example application and I went between uh, classes and, and records, and the code just shrank. Right, just shrank, shrank, shrank. It came, went down to like almost nothing. And the only Negative part, I would say, is that the API did change, right? This is kind of a, a language evolution problem. Um, Java Bean API has get, set, and records don't have get and set, right? So your your client code changes. But it's way more concise for basically data objects, right? Yeah. DTOs. And um, what's what's missing uh, a bit is uh, really deep support in JSONB. 
Um, so yeah. I, 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 I wrote some posts about that and, um, and um, it, it, it's working. What, what do you have to do? You have to put, you know, the JSON B annotation on, on a constructor or how to call it. Yeah. Uh -huh. On, on a, on, on a uh, record constructor. So, um, and then it's then it's working, but it doesn't work out of the box. But if it's coming, it would be great because then you could use Java records and uh, just serialize them back and forth from JSON to JSON. And uh, yep. th this is lacking right now. But um, yeah, uh, you are right. Records are, are yeah are great. Uh, text blocks are great. And uh, what's happening with pattern matching? The start is also starting with Java seventeen. And uh, the huge, yep. the, the the biggest impact in in my world is the LTS, right? Because now. It is, uh, right. uh, yeah. It is now uh, more interesting for l larger companies, for enterprises. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the goal there was to provide something usable in production, mm -hmm. um, and and no gap, right? Mm -hmm. So no gap between L2. Mm -hmm. You don't have to fall off into an unsupported um, situation. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of you know, from a commercial perspective, most companies stick with one version, right? They, you know, it's like right. You you talk to customers, they work on a version, it goes to production. And it's just they keep it the care and feeding, right? Like it's like they just it's there. No one goes and upgrades old systems that don't have any benefit to upgrade, right? They just do their job. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense, right? So 17 goes for a long time. We think a lot of people will stick with 17 for some time. Some will upgrade to 21. Um, it kind of it kind of it works for both worlds, right? People who are upgrading have something stable. People who are sticking around uh, have no hurry. They don't have to hurry and worry about uh, oh, I must get off 17 because it's dying soon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what are yeah? It's a big change. What are the big features of GraalVM? So, since March to now, what's what's the update? So, what was your first favorite feature? So, you, do you have like top top okay, ten favorites? You know, I was going to say seventeen. So, seventeen was my was one of my top top features, uh, which we talked about already. Uh, for those same reasons I mentioned, right? So, if I'm writing microservices and I'm working with Micronaut a lot these days, uh, one questions regarding uh, seventeen. Um, okay. So, something like text blocks. Is it something to do for, for GraalVM or is just no, right? No, no. The compiler is doing, I think, all the work, right? So, so what know, is the hardest? The so, so, what, what's the problem with is Is it like Loom or, or what, where are you spending most the, of the, the time? The JVM changes deep down are, okay. are, um, are something to deal with. Um, and also some of the code patterns. So, the, as you say, there are some new code patterns uh, with like the, the pattern matching and so on. All these kinds of language changes do affect, affect us because, you know, Java C. It kind of translates your Java source code into bytecode. It, it doesn't compile per se, right? Yeah. So a lot of the work is pushed to the JIT compiler and our compiler. So we will have to deal with language changes. And Java records? But, was uh, it a big deal? Or? Um, I don't think it was a big deal. In fact, I, the team kind of didn't get, you know, I was excited by 17. Okay. And everyone, else, everyone wasn't as excited as me. They're like, oh, yeah, we did 17. You know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So apparently, it's not as I mean. You know, this is my perspective. I'm sure that the engineers will tell you something completely different. But the the view I got was uh, that wasn't the issue because we spent a lot of time. So in terms of like what's big in in Graalvm lately, right? The compiler team's working on optimizations, right? They're like there. There's a lot of new optimizations, like uh, SIMD uh, vectorization optimizations, um, things like um, doing some uh, inlining before uh, we do some. Um, other optimizations. So some things came from other teams, like the Spring team actually asked for this. If we do some inlining early, normally we don't inline right away, but inline a bit early, certain code paths uh, become more efficient. So we can eliminate more code, dead code. Mm -hmm. There's dead code elimination. There's a lot of loop unrolling. So a lot of the work, and again, users don't see it, right? Because it's like it's it's inside the compiler. But taking loops and you know, there's different kinds of shapes of loop: for loops, while loops, you know, 
if you can transform them, we've been transforming them into the same shape internally, and then we can apply a bunch of optimization. So there's a bunch of work that's gone on um, that makes it easier for us to optimize code. Uh, and this, these are all documented um, in our release blogs. We talk about some of these these things. Um, but that's a that's a big thing. But the biggest thing for GraalVM in this release, 21.3, is basically the, the performance of native image. So we've achieved new a new uh, sort of performance benchmark that we were we've been fighting a long time. So you know, JIT compilers have a lot of time to sit and gather metrics and and optimize the code. So JIT compilers are going to outperform ahead of time compilation. Mm -hmm. They do today, or they do now, um, most of the time. So our Graal VM Enterprise Edition compiler is about you know over 20% or more, or 38 or something percent faster than, say, C2 in OpenJDK on, on a range of benchmarks. Um, but native image has lagged behind. So native image has lagged C2 because we have to make all of our optimization, optimization decisions at build time. So we don't get the luxury of watching the code execute, which code paths are being are hot, what kind of shapes of data are flowing through the, the code, which will also help us optimize the code. Um, we didn't have that. So but, with the latest release... But what it yeah. means is that your native image is as fast as OpenJDK JIT compiler, right? That's what we got to. Yeah. yeah. We got to the same same level. So basically through a couple of features. One of them is um, profile-guided optimization. Mm -hmm. So being able to run the app, gather some metrics, what a JIT compiler basically does, right? I mean, it's not as good as JIT, which runs forever optimizing. But if you run your workload and you turn on the PGO switch to gather metrics and recompile your native image with PGO, you will get better code. Okay. Uh, which you then, of course, you know, probably compile one stick in a container and deploy out there, right? Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to pay that optimization or that JIT compiler overhead at runtime. You've done it kind of uh, in a smaller environment. And the other is G1. The G1 garbage collector makes a difference uh, in terms of throughput. Okay. So just raw throughput, uh, G1. So with G1 and PGO, I think the numbers I published were like you know, 98% on average, as fast as C2. So in some cases, we're faster. Some cases are a bit slower. But we're basically in the same ballpark, which is huge because for us, the, the, the value proposition we see is take your Java application, which has all this, you know, it's large. It has a lot of memory requirements. It boots slowly, okay. say. Well, slow is, you know, relative. Uh, you compile ahead of time. Um, it starts instantly. It doesn't have any warm-up, so it offers peak performance pretty much out out from the beginning, and it runs about as fast as, as what you ran before. So really, there's you know there's no sort of performance penalty anymore mm -hmm. uh, for running with native image, which is a huge for, for us. It's a big deal. Now, you know, we still want to beat our own JIT compiler or meet our own JIT compiler performance, but uh, that's where we are. So for us, that's a big deal because it's always been a well, native image, it boots fast, lower memory footprint, good. Persist, uh, consistent throughput, like it's very reliable, predictable, but it, it does suffer a bit of a performance performance penalty. And so we've gotten basically covered in that. In the last conversation with Thomas Wirtinger and, and AirXFM, uh, he mentioned that maybe in, in one time the um, native image is going to be even faster than JIT in some workloads, and in other workloads the JIT is going to be a little bit faster than the native image. So this was his... It's like everything in... Yeah, it's like everything, right? There's no, there's no one perfect answer, right? There is yeah. no one. It's gonna the workloads are always, it's always based on the workload. Mm -hmm. and that's the same thing we see with performances. Depending on the workload, the kind of code patterns, the kind of APIs used in Java, you will get better or worse performance, yeah. right? So, if you, you know, people who optimize early, 
uh, ties the compiler's hands a bit, right? People who over-optimize. Yeah. Uh, if you if you write very nice high-level code using stream APIs, whatever, then the compiler can go to town and really take advantage. Yeah. Um, you know. This, this this is what I noticed. Um, uh, in the recent project, I use a lots of you know AWS lambdas, for instance. And uh, there's a huge myth like you know Java is not suitable and 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 what what happened is I just measured and and found that even the cold start is not a problem because uh, you know the the cold start of of stock Java it start 300 milliseconds the cold start and uh, and the subsequent calls are crazy fast it's like one to two milliseconds it yeah, is once you're up yeah mm-hmm. and but if you load you know a lots of uh, dependencies. This is where it becomes to be slow, because uh, you know th- th- that's the problem. And um, and also in all the you know serverless applications, you always have to make the distinction between synchronous and asynchronous functions, because uh, if the if the user has to wait, you know, there's a huge difference between 300 milliseconds and one millisecond. But if the lambda is asynchronous, no one cares, you know, because the first lambda is going to be 300 milliseconds and the subsequent calls will be faster, so you will pay less. So um, I play a lot, you know, with JVM versus Graal, and this is not always clear to say, you know, what is going to be cheaper. I mean, costs, <laughs> cost savings, because what, uh, what, what you probably know is the... Um, if you give the lambdas more RAM, you will also get get more CPU. And uh, That's right. yeah, and if you start with one hundred twenty eight uh, max, you have uh, less like than one one tenth <laughs> less than one tenth of a CPU. I would say no yes. reasonable app will run you know one tenth of a virtual CPU. So if, if you would like to have one CPU, you can already uh, you will have to dedicate one dot eight gigs of RAM, and with one dot Eight gigs of RAM for one Java method, you know, uh, there is a plenty of RAM, so there is no need for optimization. So this is no, and right. and, and, and and I don't know whether it is clear to everyone how is this actually work working because I got strange questions, you know, should we learn Python right now? Is Java is suitable for the cloud? It's like what are you are talking about? I mean, and, and 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 if you if you compare, you know, Java with Python and or Node.js, Java will always outperform the scripting languages. Yeah, if you've got well, you know, actually, that well, that's a good segue. Uh, so the, the performance numbers of the Truffle support languages are really quite are getting better too. Yeah. So that's that's the that's the that's the mind-bending thing on GraalVM, right? The Truffle languages. So being able to take non-JVM native languages and compile to native machine code, mm-hmm. right? So the Ruby numbers are really good. Um, and one thing we do suffer from that we have suffered from with these languages, ironically, I think, because we're implemented in Java, uh, we suffer from warm-up. So if you run, if you boot a Python program, right, it runs really fast right away. Uh, with us, we run fast at peak, but then we have a bit of a warm-up uh, hit because it's it's written in Java. So we've been working on that. Um, we published some papers, I think April. So maybe I told you last time. So now that okay. now we said we talked. Oh no, no, we talked in March. Okay, in March. So yeah, so we published a, a, an article on this multi-tier compilation. So we're we're basically saying, don't optimize at maximum initially. On say a Ruby or Python, um, do um, reasonable compilation, and then for hot code, we'll improve the compilation, we'll improve the optimization. And what you find is we have a faster start because we're not spending our time compiling, right? We're spending more time in the code, um, faster startup time, and overall the the performance curves are better. So it's really interesting. This is what compiler engineers do, right? They're like looking at how can we improve improve the overall curve from 
initial start, and you'll see these curves. They actually, it's a program's warm up, and you see all these curves. They sort of go up, like it's the time it takes, it goes up, and they kind of level off as, okay, we're, we're running performant. So it's um, something we did, this multi tier compilation. There's a really good blog on Medium, really well written. Uh, the key author was uh, Alexander Prokovec. Did a really, it's very comprehensible. So even for non, non compiler engineers, I think it's pretty, pretty understandable what's going on. But it goes to show you what you can do. But so those lang those languages have also improved quite a bit in the last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what are the use cases? What are your clients or customers asking for? Because a Ruby, for instance, is it still a thing? So is there lots of interest in Ruby? There are a number of large companies okay. who are Ruby okay. Ruby shops. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, I wouldn't say it's. I wouldn't say the Ruby case is not a, a polyglot case. It's not like I want to embed some Ruby in my Java application. Mm -hmm. It's I want to run Ruby. So the biggest, um, um, well, the best well known is Shopify. Mm -hmm. So Shopify is using Ruby. If you and Shopify is everywhere now. It's a Canadian company where I am. Uh, they're now like one of the highest market cap com companies in Canada. It turns out Shopify. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the pandemic, the COVID yeah. pandemic, has increased. They're used to. Um, they're in, they use Ruby, and if you look on our forums, you'll see a lot of discussion back and forth with with, with the Shopify engineers around optimizing Ruby performance. So we're really exceeding the performance of the MRI runtime um, with Graal VM, right? Mm -hmm. So they they're, they all they care about is performance. But other use cases besides the sort of pure play, like I'm just running Ruby, I'm just running whatever, is this is this um, embedded or scripting ability. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we see like Net, NetSuite's a big example where NetSuite allows end users to write scripts. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very common SaaS, SaaS uh, mm -hmm. pattern, right? Mm -hmm. Customers can extend the platform with some kind of script. Mm -hmm. And so we can use the Truffle languages to run those scripts and we can sandbox them. Yeah. Right? So we, we keep increasing the, um, the ability to securely run those, those uh, programs, limiting CPU, limiting... Um, Time to run, limiting memory they can consume, APIs they're allowed to call. So that's a that's a I'd say that's a pretty big one. It comes up fairly regularly. People want to embed a scripting language in their Java app. Mm -hmm. Almost runtime less, right? So you can now now you can write your Ruby code and just ship it somewhere and it gets executed on GraalVM, right? Uh, that's actually almost true. Yes, I know <laughs> it's 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 too many strange use cases. Uh, <laughs> But there was, I mean, you know, practically speaking, the sort of scripting language for my Java app, that's what we, we do see that, right? And I think maybe that's what, I'm not too sure what the reason was for them writing Nashorn in the first place. Like, was, was, you know, putting JavaScript into the Java platform? I can't remember what the origins were, but I would ah, assume it's... The origins, same, you know? uh, I, I remember a little bit because uh, uh, at the beginning, uh, Rhino was huge. There was the Rhino scripting en yeah. engine, and uh, mm -hmm. it was used everywhere, even in JavaScript uh, camp, because they use it for builds. And and the Rhino was very slow. And I think you know the idea of of NAS1 is to improve the performance of Rhino. What I know, uh, then uh, the NAS1 was uh, used more, and I used uh, also NAS1 a lot for exactly these use cases you, you you talked about right now. So to make you know the um, I would say um, type safe Java core. A little bit more extensible, without uh, redeploying the app. So we could load, you know, Nashorn scripts, and and the great story was a Nashorn script could actually implement a Java interface. So what we right. did, we had a Java interface like an algorithm, and we could load on demand, you know, the Nashorn scripts. But then Node.js came, and you know, the entire JavaScript community moved on to Node.js. But uh, there was a short period where you know they they were interested in. Um, 
in, in Rhino. So I just, you know, followed the blogs and saw that the Rhino was used a lot. And then NAS one. And there was the JSR scripting API, you know. The scripting API was huge in Java. And there was no JavaScript. So it was, I think, Beanshell and uh, and Jython and JSR2. It came with JDK 1.6, JSR233 or something. And... Um, and this was um, so I got lots of requests by companies, uh, so um, I had you know to to explain what it is and and they ask about about that. And I know you know there are lots of use cases where they start you know uh, you remember Beanshell, so Java source code in in the database you know to make something scriptable and stuff like that. So I, I think the NAS one was actually um, it was not very popular, not as popular as GraalVM, but this was the main use case or the idea back then. I would say. Yeah, yeah I, I mean. I was in a different team at that time, uh, still in the coupling team, and and there was a, there was an initiative at Oracle uh, to reach out to JavaScript developers. Right, it's a huge community. Like so, you know, how can we improve our products to to embrace the JavaScript community? And I I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure where the Nasdaq fit in that story. But we were working on various kind of products where you know making data easy to consume by JavaScript client programs, that kind of thing. Right, like producing ah, for us, yes. it was producing JSON. I still remember something. There was a you remember Project Avatar. His Avatar was the code, yeah. Yeah, That's the, right. the, 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 the yes. Project Avatar. I, I'm not sure whether it was Oracle or Sun, but uh, the idea was that uh, you, you could run uh, server-side JavaScript. This was the Project Avatar, and there was the yeah, that was Avatar. It was an overarching like initiative. Like it was a whole bunch of things. Okay, and it became. It, I think it became synonymous with what you're talking about, the sort of client-server mm-hmm. uh, strategy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't it didn't really work. No. <laughs> and there were. I have to say, a good colleague of mine was saying it's never going to work. Okay. And they didn't listen to him. <laughs> okay. And now he's right. He's proven right. Okay. So uh, I, maybe this is John Klingen because he was the product manager of of Avatar for a short period of time. No, it wasn't John. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was. Yeah, I was working with John at that time. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, those were those were. It was interesting because. In the top link world, it was pretty easy. We said, hey, you know, what do customers want is data. Let's just give them data. Let's just figure out how to give out data uh, so it can be incorporated into client-side apps, right? You know, do, you know it, it seemed like an obvious thing. And we had a lot of metadata about the object structures, right? So we knew when we had we had um, uh, support for J- Jackson or, or JSON and XML uh, marshalling mm-hmm. in top link. So we kind of put our pieces together and said, this is something practical we could do. Uh, it made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, today you see people are still doing the same thing, right? How many Java apps do you see that read some database data yeah. and put data into a DTO and then ship it across the REST API? Yeah. I mean, we basically automated it. Right? Yeah, and and even uh, on AWS, there's a DynamoDB high-level client. If you look at that, it looks exactly like JPA. So they, there's a, a Java with uh, with annotations. I would say here. Yeah. yeah. So now, now back to GraalVM. So we cover already, okay. covered already one feature, was Java 17. So the next one is the, your performance of the native image is uh, similar to OpenJDK JIT performance, I would yep, say. Yeah, S- similar. Basically, um, we, have the, we have the features in place, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, there were two, feature, two features covered, right? Uh, that's two. Um, performance of the... We do continue to work on performance, right? So... so it's a bit of a it's a bit of an interesting game uh, in terms of performance because you can impre- improve the compiler uh, performance, but at the same time the JVM itself can actually improve. So we JV, JDK seventeen the JVM uh, has improved right? over time. Each release we see the JVM itself is is, is improving. So uh, that means that OpenJDK's performance does increase or does improve. 
uh, in, even independent of compiler technology. It's like the JVM is just better right, at, at what it does. So you see that. I don't know if you saw this tweet. Uh, we were sharing it amongst ourselves um, recently. Um, it was the someone from the uh, Apache Solar team. This is just like a day or so. He said he dropped in uh, GraalVM, and he got a 15% performance improvement in response time. Basically, he says, for basically no effort, right? This is the kind of thing that we go for, right? So we continue to focus on that. Um, but we have we have shifted a little bit in that we're thinking, well, it's not a real shift. It's more of a, what's our use case? So for compiler, we have the compiler team. We work focus on compiler optimization, but we are increasingly thinking about how do we make native image perform, right? So there's more of a focus on that native image use case, for sure. Mm-hmm. Because we're already doing quite well on the sort of JIT case. Mm-hmm. Then it's a question of, you know, uh, the code that comes out of the back end in native image is a little bit, you know, um, it's a special case, right? It's not just like standard JIT code. It's yeah. going to be a diff- bit different. So we're focusing a bit more on that. Um, that's a big feature for us. Let me see. I'm looking at my other notes here. And, um, and, and is, well, there, time? is there uh, any thinking uh, no, about the trade-offs? I don't know whether this is impossible. Could we get an op where we say, I have more memory, so improve, you know, the performance or response time? Or uh, we can decrease the response time or increase the response time and uh, by consuming less memory. So is this like a trade-off? Could we? Well, yeah. So, so G, G1, you can do a G1, right? The G1 mm-hmm. uh, in Native Image has exactly those options. So, in fact, I was just talking to our performance engineer, uh, Francois, uh, about this, which is out-of-the-box G1 um, consumes more memory. And actually, I had this in the blog that I posted, actually, uh, the enterprise blog on oracle.com or blogs.oracle.com slash Um showing that we saw an increased throughput with um, native image, but then the memory consumption went up. So if you want to go faster, it was, it was chewing up more memory. And it was because of G1. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem was it was default behavior. So G1 trades more memory right, for throughput. Mm-hmm. But you can dial it down a bit. You can dial it down. You can say, okay, and this is something we wanted to do. We wanted, We did not posting numbers where we try to find the sweet spot in yeah. some sense, right? So if I cut down, if I increase throughput, if I decrease throughput a little bit, oh, sorry, no, if I reduce the memory by uh, from, like, maximum optimization or maximum usage to one less, mm-hmm. what's my throughput look like? Mm-hmm. So you can tune, right? This is the nice thing with, with G1. Or even there's cases where um, you've got certain, certain kinds of applications where you shouldn't use G1. Right, you should just use our, our more simpler collector, our parallel collector. I, I, uh, are are you talking now about the native image or about uh, uh... Yeah, native image? Okay, native image. Yeah, yeah. So it really, like said you do trade off memory for for performance, and it's not in the compiled code. It's in like G1 tuning, for example, garbage collector tuning mm-hmm. uh, is one example. Um, on the other hand, the other thing we're working on is, uh, and Thomas has talked about this, maybe he mentioned it to you before, is having a range of optimizations on native image because today you kind of get. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time, people complain, right, the build takes a long time mm-hmm. because we're spending a lot of time optimizing. But what if we optimize less? What if you got a, a slightly slower um, uh, application because you're doing development work? You don't really care at this point for optimization. You can dial it down. So even within the sort of developer cycle, we're thinking that we could adjust the, the time spent optimizing to provide a better turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything's a trade-off. It's memory, compute, <laughs> time, um, these are your these are your options, right? Yeah, uh, for the runtime, the runtime. Yeah, for command line interfaces uh, or command line applications. So this is where I see because in this completely different use case, I would use GraalVM you now just for convenience because I get one 
binary. I drop it to my bin folder and go with it. So I don't care about memory or, or startup time that much. So if you would build faster, it would be great, actually. So this is I have such such a you know such uh, such a use case actually. Yeah. But this, I, I mean, I don't care because you know um, all the tests happened b- before, and then I just believe it will work. So I have a final smoke test. If it starts and works, then I'm happy usually. Right. Mm-hmm. So so we have we have some numbers actually. I think they're also posted in our uh, in the Medium blog. So gravium.org, or sorry, Medium slash gravium. Um, on the 21.3 um, announcement blog, we have some numbers in there, and <laughs> this is radio, or this is a podcast, so no visuals. So the table has image build time from 21.1 to 2 to 3. It went from 170 seconds to 163 seconds to 144 seconds. So we're we're seeing the build time for this little trait sample app decreasing, which is what? Because um, 30, it's, it's actually a, almost 25%, 20% decrease okay. in build time. The output image also shrank, so the smaller code size. So it went from 138 meg to 120 meg, our test case. This is actually Spring Pet Clinic, JDBC. That's what we're testing. So we're, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a small matter of engineering, right, to incre- improve, improve the build time or reduce build time and to produce smaller images. It's just, it's just engineering work. We're just putting in the work to make it happen. Um, the other thing we're doing is... This is actually a big, another feature that I know that the um, native image team is very happy about, um, which is this conditional ref, um, inclusion of c- code. Mm-hmm. So in terms of reflective config, it's now conditional. Mm-hmm. So you can say, um, if you see this class mm-hmm. in, in, the, in, in the reachability, then include this other thing. Um, and this came from the Spring team. They asked for this feature. Again, we're getting really good feedback from these downstream projects on like what what would help them? What would help produce a better uh, mm-hmm. product or output? Um, and this this um, this new change has helped the Spring team or Spring Native team reduce the size of their applications because they're not bringing as much code. Mm-hmm. So if you don't bring in so much cl- so many classes to look at, then you spend less time analyzing. It improves the throughput in terms of the build time. It improves the size of your output, right? The, the smaller native image. So, so what's so the problem with the Corcus guys? Are are they lazy or what? There is no feedback from them. Uh, no, we got. We get feedback from them. I think that uh, I think Spring. Well, you know, we work with Micronaut, uh, we work with Helidon, we're working with Quarkus, we're working with um, uh, Spring Team. Did I say did I say that right? Four. There's four. Yeah. Four that I can think of. Um, and we do get feedback. The Quarkus team um, have their own distro. They're using native image quite heavily. So they, they Micronaut and Quarkus are both built native for this, right? They're built. Yeah. They're designed to. Right. Yeah. So they've already wow. got a. a sure. The Spring Team has a, a longer path mm-hmm. to go from um, spring, which is heavily use, has, has heavy use of reflection, right? Very heavy yeah. use of reflection yeah. to a world in which um, it works smoothly. So the spring native project itself, like that whole initiative is to, is to basically bring spring forward. Yeah, you were right. Um, to, the right? Entire so that's not fair. It's not fair to, com- yeah. to complain about yeah, the, yeah. Guys. the The, the uh, spring is completely dynamic internally. They even, you know, one point of time use Groovy for configuration. And uh, Micronaut and and Quarkus are ex- extremely static, right? So they are d- d- different. Yeah, they're designed from the ground up to avoid some of the things that would be problematic with native image, mm-hmm. right? So I really that's why I'm enjoying Micronaut because I know that, you know, if I annotate some bean that needs in- inspection, they will basically generate the code to do that. So there's no reflection; it's actually you know code gen um, behind the scenes. So. I know it's going to compile fine with native image, mm-hmm. uh, and Quarkus is working kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Spring is trickier because you know uh, reflection. So they're they're doing a good job, right? So they've they're figuring out 
themselves. So I, I think what's I think the plan is Spring Native is kind of this incubator project where they figure it all out, and then they take their findings and they roll it into Spring Core, yeah. like the Spring uh, Spring Boot. I think that's happening next fall, Spring Six. Is that right? I have no spring idea. Boot, I, the numbers are not clear to me, but uh, yeah, I mean the Spring Native work is, and this is where we're getting things like, hey, if you inline earlier here, then we get a better result. So this is the kind of feedback. So they have a lot of code they had to test, right? That's good. Yeah, but, but it's actually very good because most of the applications uh, out there are uh, reflection-based. So you get a good feedback from Spring because uh, what Quarkus and Micronode is doing is not, I would say, normal in Java, right? That uh, you are upfront optimizing the entire code base to be to be loaded, you know, generate bytecode in advance or or code and you know load everything in one, in one class loader. So it is so, such a highly optimization is not normal in enterprise, you know. So this is like most yeah. of the application servers uh, behave like Spring Boot. Yeah. So Spring Boot and application server are very very similar uh, technology, I would say. It's very similar. It's true, and it's it's kind of interesting, you know. Uh, you and I always end up in this conversations like the language, but the the user reflection, um, it it was there, and so everyone used it. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, uh, like Micronaut, the code looks just like like Spring code in the sense of you annotate some some objects with some annotations. Like this is introspective, uh, inject something here, and the implementation is just not using reflection. The implementation is using annotation processors to look at the code and go, oh, you need to you need to introspect this uh, this object. I need to generate the helper code that will will inject the right places to do the work. So they're just calculating at build time what you would basically calculate at runtime. That's all they've done. It moved moved the calculation, and um, in doing so, you know, it's faster because reflection is slow. Reflection is also very uh, memory intensive. It's very heavy. Yeah. So if you're creating uh, handles to things, they're pretty fat. Yeah. I, I mean, the, 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 the main difference between, uh, you know, the past and now is that in the past, the expectation was that you, you are able to reconfigure the server uh, in, um, during runtime. And now we gave up. So we say, okay, we do it once and, uh, and then generate everything and the, we can simplify the code base, you know. Yeah, it's true. The app server, the app server approach is enabled by this feature for sure. Yeah. Actually, that makes me think. So, are, have you been tracking the um, the CDI, the non-reflective CDI work? Yeah, the CDI light. You mean? CDI light. Yeah. Yeah. So, same thing, right? I mean, it's like, hey, we can figure this out. Yeah. Um, at build time. And yeah, I mean, it will work. Why not? Yeah, why not? It's just an implementation detail. I mean, yeah. if the spec, but unless the spec, the specification says this, you know, you have to do this thing and this thing is only possible to figure out at runtime. So what you need to do is make sure the spec doesn't do that, right? By the way, uh, uh, funny fact um, or, or curious fact, uh, at the beginning, before JDK 1.3, all application servers generated code. So what happened mm -hmm. is during uh, deployment, uh, there, there was no dynamic proxy. So, so uh, the uh, they read, you know, the XML generated Java code, compiled the code, and this was the deployment. And uh, there was the how is called Sun Sun Server Reference Implementation uh, Java Web Server Development Kit or something like this. So you could deploy the Great Java, names. yeah, deploy Java code, and you could actually look at the source code. And WebLogic did the same. And then Java uh, 1.3 came out with dynamic proxy. And the code was actually became slower 
was not the deployment was faster, but the code was slower because reflection was involved, you know. And everyone was excited about JDK 1.3 and I said, okay, yeah, it's cool, but it's slower. It's like, no, no, JDK 1.3 is great. We use dynamic proxy and, and everyone was happy with dynamic proxies. And now uh, with Quarkus, you know, 20 years, 20 years later, we, we do the same actually, right? So uh, it's back to the future. Yeah, like, back to yeah. the future, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the common case, right? You know, reflection was easy. It, it was a magic box. You could open it up and do all kinds of clever things. And everyone did it, right? I mean, yeah. you could do all kinds. And then, you got to, then you got into bytecode weaving and, you know, you can yeah. do anything you want. Right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, if it's there, people use it. I guess that's the uh, the lesson, right? Yeah. Did we cover actually all the features, the main main GraalVM features? Oh, there's lots of features. Um, Your favorites. Your favorites, of course. Well, the, my favorites was still, was still the performance. I'm most excited about performance because I think... You know, from market adoption perspective, if something's slow, it's also like, oh, it's worse, right? It's, it's like, it's better here, but it's worse here. Now I can say, no, it's basically across the board. It's basically the same or better. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the biggest, for me, the biggest thing. If you look through, like, we have, there's all kinds of features, you know, some initial module support for native image. Um, there's um, changes in, I mean, I have, it's a ton of things, right? Random things. So in Truffle, they're working on, so Truffle was built as an AST-based mm-hmm. uh, parser. Uh, but languages like like um, um, LLVM, Bitcode, uh, Java are basically um, not well. Java is not a it's not a it's not an AST based uh, language. It's it's bytecodes. Mm-hmm. So we have a different implementation. So we're we're seeing within the Truffle world, you know, what we call you know, a static object model mm-hmm. uh, support. So languages that are more static that have basically static typing. Mm-hmm. Um, we are able to do new things and we're working on performance improvements. So as you know, we have this Espresso um, implementation of Java uh, that's built on top of Truffle. And so we're imp- working on performance for, for Espresso. And so we saw some improvements in Espresso startup time, like around 40% improvement in the last uh, few months of booting the application. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, you know, we're... Co- we're constantly working on these performance improvements to bring it up. So Espresso, when we released it, we we told everyone this is it's functionally complete, like it does everything, but it's not fast. Okay. Right. Because of you know it's but we're we're sharing it now, and so what you're seeing is us basically bringing Espresso or Java on Truffle. Espresso is not a it's just a code name, yeah. right? Um, bringing that Java on Truffle implementation up to the point where it's it's competitive performance-wise. And then you get to interesting use cases. So you could use Java as your scripting language in your Java program, and you could sandbox that code to make sure that it's, it's run securely yeah. in a box, right? So it, it changes, the, uh, changes the use case a little bit. You could do crazy things like script your application in Java 17, but the application is written in Java 11. Right, so the language in the in, inside of the espresso inside the box is a different version of Java than than the actual host application. All kinds of crazy use cases become enabled, um, but we're we're working on that. So we really think that um, the espresso platform um, can evolve to cover all the languages, and then we get then we get that sort of. I kind of hate this term, but you know the universal virtual machine. Right, it's one virtual machine that's running all these languages at speed and with interoperability. But back to Java, what what actually do with interesting use case for Oracle functions, right? Like a function as a service, because then you could just uh, ship Java code without any runtime, you know? Uh, that's true. <clears throat> now, but in this case, so I think the problem is you still have to load load the bytecode and you know parse the bytecode and do all the things that you have to do with the JVM, 
right? So yeah, but not yeah. not me. I I could just you know I would just copy the code over. I don't have to do the packaging. So right now with with Lambda, I just you know stock Maven process. Um, mm-hmm. by the way, um. I had a chat with a few developers regarding serverless and Java, and they said, okay, Java is not capable. And they opened you know, the AWS console and copied some Python and JavaScript, saying, look, Java cannot do this. So, okay, but this is terrible. <laughs> I cannot just yeah. build you know, an application just by copy, copying code you know, into in the AWS console and hope it will work. That's a demo. So, yeah, this is a demo. That's a demo. Yeah, but but they they, yeah. they were they were so convinced that uh, that you know this Java is not capable because you cannot copy Java there. But we could with Espresso, for instance. This would be a use case for you know for for demo purposes, and and packaging. Yeah. No kidding, because right now I have to compile the Java and everything, but I still have to create a zip which is uploaded. It is a small zip, but still uploaded. But um, mm-hmm. if we have let's say event driven functions. Then uh, we don't need a lot of dependencies, so we can actually agree on on a set of dependencies which are there. This is the you know the available SDKs, and um, and then would be Java like an orchestrator. So we could just enable Java, and even you said CDI Lite, right? We could say okay, CDI Lite is available. We could make a, a dependency injection available, a very simple one, and this would be a nice little runtime which would. And, and of course, behind the scenes, GraalVM during deployment will have to compile the Java code, of course, right? So, yeah, you, you would have to. But I think that the, I mean, I struggled with this when I worked on functions. We struggled with this notion of what do you deploy? What's the deployment artifact, yeah. right? Is it, is it, do you, like, so like Heroku, do you push source code to a repo, fires a build, deploys your code, right? So behind the scenes, there's containers, but you never see them. Um, then Docker kind of, the rise of Docker, and suddenly everyone knew what containers were, and we said, okay, look, well, you want to deploy code, just deploy a container. We don't even care what's in the box. We don't care what's, care what's in the container. As long as it supports certain um, uh, API, mm-hmm. we don't care. So Java, Node, whatever. Um, and and then we're going back to the, but then people find, are find, finding Docker, that Docker functions experience, like you say, they, they want to copy a piece of code and just paste it in. So Lambda's popularized the, the non-artifact deployment, just a piece of code. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, the world just, so it, it, it it's a pendulum. It goes back and forth between yeah. I want to control packaging myself or I want you to do packaging for me. Um, where's the abstraction layer? What's the abstraction? Is it a container? Is it some source? Is it an API? I, it keeps changing, honestly. I mean, yeah. depends. it depends. But maybe the Docker maybe Docker as a deployment artifact is fading a little bit because people are yeah. like, it's so common, right? Yeah. We're all excited. Yeah, uh, this is like custom runtime. Docker is, is, is a special thing, and uh, and, and AWS you would uh, uh, ship just jar or uh, mm-hmm. Node.js or Python, uh, or custom runtime would be uh, Docker. And uh, on Oracle functions, I guess is still FN Java, right? They're still using Docker Docker containers for deployment. for FN Java. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah. Is there any synergy with recent Espresso or or GraalVM? I think it's more native image. I, I really do think it's more native image. Um, I actually had some recent recent work with the functions team talking about upgrading to a new version of GraalVM, right? And uh, I really think that the static compile, minimal container image is more the pop, uh, the better use case. So they want lightweight, small containers. So if you have a cold node, like you know, you say call function somewhere, there's a node that has to get that container image on it running. They got to pull that container image from somewhere. So they got to transmit the container image. Uh, you got to boot the thing up. It has to have fewer, 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 fewer as few uh, layers as possible in your Docker container. Yeah. All kinds of good practices for speed. Um, so, you know, a scratch image with a fully self-contained, statically bi- compiled application is probably optimal. Yeah. 
So that's it, that's it, where it, I think it, it is optimal. It is absolutely optimal for the cloud provider, but the cloud economics on AWS right now are uh, yeah, is, are different. Point. So so if I'm in from the user perspective, it's not always the case. If I would be the cloud provider like Oracle, I would just use native images. They they are, they are more sensible. Yeah, I see your point though. It's true, and everyone kind of knows that on all these function platforms, serverless platforms, memory equals CPU, right? Because you're, if, it, you know, uh, you can see this um, uh, in, in all the platforms. Many people have blogged about, hey, I've done these experiments. I can see it happening, right? It's because it's like Docker. You can get CPU shares, right? So you can say on Docker, for example, on a given host, give each container X percent or, you yeah. know, basically we can do some sort of, uh, it's just shares. So if you say one gig of RAM, you get so much CPU share. If you say two gig of RAM, you get a bigger share because there's only a physical machine behind the scenes somewhere that you're eating pieces of it, right? Uh, the trick is whether they oversubscribe. Um, this is something that was interesting on Oracle Functions. We never oversubscribe the hardware. So when you say, I want a gig, uh, and you get some CPU share, you get that gig and that CPU share. Whereas other platforms, they may... Uh, this was like... I think this was on... What am I thinking of? It's a while ago now. There was something on uh, OpenShift where you could deploy, but they would oversubscribe. So you would get some fighting over resources, right? You could deploy lots, but you would find that um, your performance would degrade mm -hmm. because if you had it really, it was, it was you know, mm -hmm. you were having to fight over uh, oversubscribed memory. Mm -hmm. So that's always interesting too. But you're right. You, if you really want throughput, you have to buy more RAM. So small functions or low memory requirement functions don't uh, necessarily give you throughput you might be looking for. And I would say they are really useless. I mean, this is one tenth of a CPU. I mean, even depends though. Depends. Depends what you do, right? Let's say you, if you're building a cloud service, for example, let's say like I'm, I'm Oracle, I'm building a cloud service that does something for you. They split into two pieces: data plane, control plane. Uh, and so, in the, in one side, all you're doing is configuring. So let's say I have to respond to an API call that says, please set my memory to 128 meg, or please set the memory for my function to 256 uh, meg. That call um, doesn't have to run very fast. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to run, it doesn't maybe run very often. I mean, it's not about throughput. It's just about, I have to do some processing in a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, I can build the whole, the whole service uh, UI and everything out of these functions. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm going to go do a batch job, batch programming, yeah, different. Right, yeah. so it's not useless. It's but just only useful for some cases. What what happened? There was one um, uh, recently a Java developer. Actually, two two interesting uh, cases. So I performed a code review, and in a Lambda AWS Lambda, developers use Parallel Stream, and I was just curious because Parallel Stream the parallelism depends on the amount of cores because it is based mm -hmm. on default join, right? And I say, okay, okay, how parallel is it actually? And what I did, I experiment. So I say, what happens if I deploy a Lambda, AWS Lambda, on 128 megs of RAM? What Java will see? Because you can ask, you know, Java, give me the cores. Right. And what happened is you will see two cores. So this is the minimum. What you see are two cores on AWS Lambda. And then in one point of time, you, you see more. It means if you use parallel stream, the stream will get two threads, but you get one-tenth of a CPU, actually. So And I say, okay, maybe if you are deploying with 128 megabytes of RAM, it is not sensible to use parallel streams in, in this particular case, you know, because there is not lots of parallelization going on of one-tenth of a CPU. And... Um, and, and and this is you, you just have to know and and this is you know the entire conversation memory and CPU um, and even if you just parse JSON 
it's a huge impact. I mean, if and and the 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 the, um, the functions are getting JSON as as input usually, and and you are also emitting JSON as output. So you need a little little things. And the last story, um, a developer uh, used uh, logging frameworks and just I think log4j and something for no reason. It just wanted to have the dependencies. And the Lambda booted in 10 seconds. It's like, this is incredible. What are you doing? It's like 10 megs of, 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 of dependencies. And I say, I just included three, three dependencies. And then, and this, you know, just because of three dependencies, you know, all, all my performance went south. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have a huge logging frameworks here included, right? Yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing the same problem with native image compiles, right? So people add dependency and it yeah. just explodes the space, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And and we're we're becoming aware of frameworks that have bad, like, you know, if they have lots of dependencies, transitive yeah. and they uh, yeah, there it's a problem. Yeah. So this is this is a problem uh, in general for not just uh, like well as a as a compiler essentially, right? We are hitting this. People go, oh native images are so slow. It's like, well you have like a hundred megabytes yeah. uh, of <laughs> yeah. you've 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 included one thing which included another thing and then you've got this huge chain that we're we're having to look through, right? So uh, it's a problem in Java uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, you're, you're a developer. I'm sure this engineer you had working with, he's not the first person to add one little dependency and then the whole thing goes so slow. Yeah, he wanted to add uh, Python. Yeah, it says Java is not suitable for the clouds. So this was the, the discussion then. And it's okay, just remove you know right. all your logging enterprise stuff. System out print is also good enough for you know for just one method and it just work. Micronaut. You, you are also somehow related to Micronaut, right? It's your team. Yeah. So um, the uh, so Graham Roche came to work for Oracle. Uh, he works at, uh, in Oracle Labs. He works. Uh, uh, we both work for Eric Settler, who run, runs Labs, and um, there he continues to work on Micronaut uh, for general things. And he yeah, also yeah. is focusing on you know building, make sure we have good support for Oracle Cloud. Mm-hmm. That's another one of the one of the things he does. So I've been using it because um, you know I'm I'm uh, Finding it uh, fairly straightforward to use. I like the simplicity. I like the the tools, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's quite good. I, in fact, actually, the other day there was someone on um, another colleague had tweeted about, oh, I had to write this little program and I wrote it in Python because it was so short. And he goes, you know, sorry, Java. And so then then Todd Sharp, maybe you know, you know Todd. Uh, uh, so Todd's like, I will take that challenge. <laughs> so, actually, meanwhile, I was also doing the same thing. So behind the scenes, we're both writing the Java version. And with Micronaut, it was a simple REST API. It just it managed some uh, static structure, basically, right, mm-hmm. um, with some REST APIs. And it was like a page. It was it was it was thirty lines of Java code, I think, mm-hmm. altogether. It was basically the same size as the Python code, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it runs way faster. Yeah, sure. So it, sometimes it's it's unfortunately the frameworks are where the sometimes where the advantage is, right? The frameworks. Did HTTP handle all the all the stuff for me? Did all the marshalling on marshalling? Did all the uh, automatic, um, you know, uh, checking that the, the parameters matched? You know, the, the the path of the URL matched the, the the method and so the binding. All these things happen, and it's in the frameworks. So it's not so much just Java. And I think the problem is that Python has some basic libraries or capabilities. People think that this is Python. It's not really Python. Yeah. If you're using frameworks, how good are your frameworks? Yeah. And the entire discussion dies if you get you know your first use case to implement because you are stuck you know with business thinking what the client would like to have you know this is where it did. and and I would say Java is lean enough and uh, now a little bit you know with the um, problems I hear uh, is like Java is too slow for the clouds or too big which 
doesn't matter because we covered this already because the RAM and CPU are related in most clouds. They they are related. Uh, they definitely are. And this is this is this has changed economics, right? So you you now have to think about this. Yeah, you have to think about how much memory, how much CPU do I need? And uh, what you also have to think about is uh, the costs. So I already delivered several talks, cost-driven oh, development, yes. because you know what we what back then we all there were no the entire discussion about quality was a little bit esoteric, you know, decoupling and whatever. But now um, the managers will see how expensive our architecture actually is. So we have to know to to justify all our you know thoughts regarding whether we really need 100 microservices or we can just ship 10, you know, uh, larger microservices. And uh, th this will be a huge, which I'm actually looking forward because uh, right now uh, you could just argue, I don't know, my architecture is be better because I'm modular, whatever it means. But now if modularity means uh, more, you have to pay more money without um, business benefit. So now we are talking, right? So this is um, a different world. Yeah, Throughput's part of it, right? So um, Twitter's uh, Chris Tallinger has, has has given talks about how they are. It's a couple of angles. He talks about power saving, so green technology. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I can get my work done in a short amount of time, I can uh, let use less CPU time, right? So mm -hmm. I can basically either use less or I can squeeze more into the same mm -hmm. uh, more work into the same physical like compute infrastructure. Um, and that's and there's that, and then there's also the um, the cost, like you say, right? Less compute is cheaper. So that's the thing they're using Graal VM for. They'll say, oh yeah, we use Graal VM. We get about 14, 15, or 15% or something for these services. We're saving lots of money. He doesn't say how much. Mm -hmm. And he's left, he's left Twitter now, but he, these talks he gives. So there's real economic impact for performance. It's, as you say, you, need, you do need to buy enough memory, enough compute to do your job. But how much is enough? You want it to be less, mm -hmm. right? You want to be able to get away with less. So anything that makes your jobs work more efficient is, is saving money. I would say uh, the killer use case for GraalVM is actually for synchronous uh, functions. And this is, uh, you always will need GraalVM because the cold start is not acceptable. And the cold start is uh, also because, as I said, it, this is half a second and half a second for an end user is uh, problematic. And um, and uh, what what's also, some, um, by the way, um, if you look at lambdas or functions, and you know, stateless EGBs, they're exactly the same concepts. So the, 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 I, I, meanwhile, I, I actually use my old slides to explain lambdas with uh, EGBs because the cold start, it doesn't happen once. It happens once per instance, right? So if you have uh, lots of uh, traffic coming in, so the first instance has a cold start, but it's busy. So what the runtime will do, create another instance with cold start. So you get a couple of cold starts at the beginning. What EGBs also had, there was the uh, initial pool size. You can, we just called provision concurrency. But now this is the killer use case of GraalVM because what you can do with Micronode, for instance, you can ship a Micronode as an AWS Lambda and, uh, and uh, it will receive HTTP events from the API gateway will translate them to JAXRS. So what will mean is actually you can lift and shift an old application server application written with JAXRS and CDI, migrate it to Lambda and create a one Lambda with a couple of, of, of we are actually doing this with uh, Pojos. I was say, I, I, I'm expecting, like, where, where's the demo? <laughs> yeah. Working on it, right? uh, demo, I already did it. Uh, there is a demo with Quarkus one and a half year, years ago. And this is the official also in AWS called, I think, serverless runtimes, where they even have a jersey 
uh, layer from AWS where they are invoking Jersey through um, from HTTP event. So how this works, the HTTP event is JSON and this adapter layer just reads the JSON and invokes Jaxor as resources. And you always need API gateway then. But uh, but uh, this is where you have to use GraalVM because uh, then you get uh, the, the cold start matters and the processing time doesn't matter a lot because in this layer that there's no lots of CPU involved, right? This layer will just uh, receive JSON, maybe call database, or usually what you will do is, you know, create an event and send it to SQS, SNS, or Kinesis, or Kafka, whatever. And um, and, and this is where you have to use GraalVM. So this is a big, absolute killer use case. And what people don't know, that is actually possible. And uh, I showed them, you know, the code. It's just like, it looks like MicroProfile. So it could be Micronaut, it could be Quarkus or Halidon. And, uh, and, and, and this is now your 15 years old code. We can now package it as a lambda, but then we use GraalVM. We need GraalVM for that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think uh, you know. I don't think that many people know about native image. But I think we'll see. Uh, I think in the next year, I think we'll see a bit of a change. I think now we're at a different. I think we're at a bit of a turning point. Native image. Everyone knows about native image. What people uh, don't. N- no, I don't think. If you see corporate developers, you're meeting people from from clients. Are they are they aware of this yes. technology? Yes, yes. Everyone knows about native image in in my world. GraalVM is huge. What they know don't don't know about is the uh, that uh, GraalVM JIT compiler is so fast. This is this is absolutely not known. People don't even know. It is even other way around. Uh, for instance, if I mention GraalVM, they're always uh, th- uh, thinking that we have to use the native image. So for them, GraalVM is the native image. So if someone mentions GraalVM right. is native image. And uh, so they are not aware that uh, GraalVM is a fast uh, JVM, and they're also not uh, aware of the polyglot. So if um, right. uh, capabilities. Mm-hmm. It's funny because in the, in the past, you know, that's the problem, right? So the GraalVM project is taking all this compiler technology and doing all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think of GraalVM as, as polyglot. That's what they think of at first. Like, oh, it's this polyglot. But... As you say, really, it's powered by the core is this compiler, which is the JIT compiler, which we've also, you know, repurposed because it's a compiler mm-hmm. for native image and even for Truffle, right? It's all the it's all compiler technology. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, marketing issues, right? <laughs> we have uh, challenges. I, uh, I mean, I, I think marketing is great so far because these native images is huge, and I would say it is easier to sell than. 20% better performance because if I show you, you know the impact on startup time and the in the memory consumption is huge. So if you, if you, if you start uh, Quarkus, let's say uh, it will consume I think 20 megs of RAM in what you see in J Visual VM. But if you look at from outside, is roughly I would say 90 megs or something like this. Uh, everything the entire JVM and the same app with GraalVM is uh, roughly. 10 max or 11 max or something like this. And the entire native image is around, I forgot, 20 max to 60 max, it depends, but it's the entire JVM and everything packaged, right? And and if, if you show this, this is a huge impact. No one believes this. This, this is incredible. I agree with you. I've come to the same conclusion. Um, people, um, people don't like change, right? They don't like to change. So I can make your application go faster is really interesting. Developers aren't as concerned as maybe you're in deployment or your mm-hmm. operations. Um, but if I can say, I can take your application and compile it into this completely different thing and a completely different use case, that's much more interesting. 
promote the average person. It's completely it's a completely different new idea mm-hmm. versus a slightly slightly better you know mm-hmm. rather slightly better is completely new, and that's more definitely more attention getting. Mm-hmm. And uh, back to Micronote, um, I had already a chat with Graham about Micronote and also right. play, played with that. And uh, for me, it was at the beginning unusual to use or hard to use because I was not accustomed to, you know, that many Maven uh, uh, configurations, like, you know, the annotations processor. But uh, what Graham said is that he uh, already optimized that. So now it's a way easier than it was before. So there's, uh, and, and, and because, you know, this is interesting from marketing perspective. So uh, what I really like is software, which is simple to use. So this is why I really like application servers because there was, you know, I just downloaded them, started, and and, and, and I was everything was available, right? And uh, the Micronode was uh, optimized for, and Quarkus, by the way, as well. This was uh, Quarkus at the beginning. Uh, I said, okay, uh, I, 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 no, um, I have no time to include, you know, the 20 extensions every, each time. This is just stupid. So I, I know at the beginning that I will need everything from MicroProfile, but maybe because, you know, health, metrics, JaxRS, CDI, JSONB, you always need them. This is not like uh, there's one project which we can skip JSONB. And if it is, then, uh, you know, how much will you save? So, And this impression was of Micronaut as well, but he, uh, the, the Graham said, okay, that he created like uh, Maven profiles, which make it easier which is appreciated. So uh, I, w- I would say we don't have to optimize, you know, until the last kilobyte. It would be, we can say, okay, there could be a semi-optimized version of Micronaut, which already ships, you know, with parts of MicroProfiles, which you're already heading there. You have already JaxRS, you have uh, CDI Lite, and you have bin validations. You have three APIs, which are great. Yeah, it's... it's uh... It's funny you mentioned Maven because I always use Maven, and with working with Micronaut, they tend to default to Gradle. Yeah. Right. The examples include Gradle, so I started using Gradle more, and and it's okay. Uh, you know, it's 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 not bad. It's uh, it's a little bit less verbose. All that XML in Maven starts to look kind of ugly after after you use Gradle for a little bit. You know, it's yeah. a little bit more concise. But all my Maven projects were maybe fifty lines of XML because uh, if you use uh, if you have the dependencies like MicroProfile. You have two dependencies, you know plugins. Right. Yeah. So th- this was my world for 15 years, and and uh, Quarkus changed yes. that, and Helidon. Uh, Helidon is leaner actually as Quarkus, because uh, what Helidon does, they include you know the entire API once. They have the entire micro profile at once, mm-hmm. and in Quarkus, I have to add you know small ray metrics, small ray health, and whatever, and uh, I have to know that. But uh, but Helidon is more usable from the user perspective. Yeah, it's a trade-off though. So if you put things into your class path, uh, it's a problem. I don't, know. I, I, I don't know whether it affects the compile. Like native for me, I don't know whether it affects native image build or not. Probably not if you're not using anything. So marketing is this? Are we building for developer, let's say, convenience or experience, or the best or the the the, the most optimized framework? Right. So this is right. Right. Let the compiler do the optimization. Right? Perfect. So when is the next release, significant release with Java 21? We have scheduled, you know, our next podcast episode. Uh, so the next release is for us is 22, mm-hmm. uh, which is the first 22 at one, the first one in January. And we're actually working through that right now. We're having internal meetings of what features are we going to surface in 22. So I, I can't tell you the answer, but uh, yeah, of course. You, should, you should check. We'll have to schedule a, a follow-up. Um, I know there's some really interesting things uh, some fairly high-tech things, baking, that I'm, I'm eager to talk about. 
but I can't talk about them yet. Yeah, perfect. And uh, something on the Vasm front? No. It's coming along. So that's there. The The work has moved. So it was it was built, uh, uh, engineering team was building it. They've moved it into the JavaScript team because really it's part of the JavaScript story, right? So so it's been moved under Christian Wirt, who, who leads the, uh, the JavaScript uh, work. So his team is taking care of it. Uh, the performance is. I saw some numbers. I think the performance has be, has improved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of um, interest in Wasm for sure. Um, it's um, well. Well, as you know, we've added uh, JavaScript to the Oracle database, mm-hmm. right? So we uh, we embedded GraalVM in the database, and so one possibility there is what about Wasm? So if JavaScript's in database, would you have Wasm support? So you could then take native libraries and embed them in your app in your store procedure. Right, this is a possibility. Uh, we haven't done that, but it's certainly a possibility in the future. So it's it's a it's a it's a going concern. It's it's and it's oracle dead, functions. You know? like it's, and oracle functions. And you could in oracle functions. Um, Wasm. I mean, we we had some. Um, it's got some limitations. Wasm today has some limits, right? So yep. it can't be it can't do everything, right? But it has some has some utility. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see when we announce this other stuff because we have some interesting uses for Wasm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I'm what, going to tease you. What, what your competitors are doing with Wasm, they are running already on the edges, you know, with Wasm as a function. So yeah, this is, yeah, but it's limited, right? Yeah, it's because there's no garbage collection. There's, yeah. it's a very, there's not a lot it can do. It can do some things, but it can't do everything. <laughs> I uh, listened to an interview with some, someone, I can't remember, but they said the main feature of Wasm is uh, that it, it is less capable than Java. So, okay, this is uh, interesting. That's the main feature. <laughs> yeah, that's the main feature. Because it's not as complicated. So, okay, uh, interesting. Okay, perfect. Yeah, like so uh, I will invite you back in January, so you can talk more about then the high tech features. Could be too soon. We'll ha- we'll talk we'll talk offline about a good date. I want to make sure that there's enough interesting stuff in the hopper. Okay, uh, perfect. Thank you. Okay, that's great talking to you.